1: Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello,
2: I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you for tuning in. I'm delighted to be here yet again with you for another show. And I've already said it before, but I will say it again. I am so lucky to start my week talking to people who, in addition to being great at what they do, they also have the generosity of spirit to share with me and you their most critical decisions but also their decision-making journey, uh, how they uh, achieve the successes they achieve and and help you uh, learn and extract the nuggets that end up making a difference to your own decisions. Shortly, I'll be introducing to you my guest, Mick Simonelli. Um, He took his expertise in building sustainable innovation initiatives inside large corporations and turned it into a craft he now shares with his clients as a consultant. And Mick and I will be discussing today what makes the results of his uh, input innovative in the first place. He will share his path to decision-making and the different choices he creates for his client, as well as how he helps them, (coughs) losing my voice, uh, keeping innovation alive and overcome uh, negativity. That is often um, uh, a break or a slowdown of innovation uh, processes. But first of all, I'd like to thank Andrew Haley, my guest from last week, a gold Paralympic medalist and world champion Paralympic swimmer who shared with us a step-by-step pathway to overcoming his physical limitations to stay on track and focused on the end goal and believe in self. Those were, at least from Andrew's perspective, the Key ingredients to his amazing success as a professional athlete. And there are many things in that interview that every one of us can learn. So make sure you go back to listen and learn more about focus and determination. I know that I found it extremely inspiring uh listening to uh to Andrew and and Mick you and I talked about how difficult it is to bring uh a business up from uh from the scratch so I certainly recommend that you listen to to hear what other people are doing to stay focused so welcome to the show Mick
0: thank you Laura glad to be here it's,
2: it's a pleasure to have you here. Let me just share a bit more uh, with the audience about you. Um, so you're a keynote speaker and independent consultant, and you have over 25 years experience in transformation and change, focusing on developing thought leadership on innovation in large organization. You package your practical approach to form your own organization And guide client organizations toward groundbreaking revenue-generating innovation initiatives. There's a couple of uh, um, very important keywords in that description because, um, you know, the groundbreaking means that it's quite transformational. um, And the revenue-generating, it means that it also makes money. Uh, One of the challenges that organizations have today with innovations Prior to uh, starting Simonelli Innovation, you served as the Senior Innovation Executive for USSA, where you built and drove enterprise-wide innovation programs to world-class status. And during your t- uh, tenure, the organization received numerous awards and accolades, including InfoWeek 500's Most Innovative, Business Week's Number One Customer Service, and People's Cho- Choice Awards. Uh, and before that, you served as a lead innovator in multiple positions within the Department um, of Defense. So it, it's quite an impressive list of achievements, and no wonder you chose to take that and uh, and share it with more people. Um, so tell us, how did it all start? Why innovation? How did you end up in innovation in the first place?
0: Uh, Laura, I'm one of those people that... Uh I like to do things differently. You know, You know, there's some people that just like to do things differently. That You know, some people call it the innovator's DNA. Some people call it uh, just change agents. But I'm one of those folks. And so I just enjoy doing things differently. And, and innovation is a huge, huge buzzword right now. But it's also a way of life right now with the way things have happened. Prior to this, if you think back... The innovation wasn't the big term. It was terms like transformation, change. Um, some of us were attached to things called Six Sigma and Lean processes. I've been one of those guys that has always been, or even before that, it was Total Quality Management and things like that. I've been one of those guys that's always been attached to those things that help us change um, organizations around. And since I was in large organizations. I tended to gravitate towards those things that work best in large organizations. I just, I just like change. Uh, just one of those people that does things differently. That, that, that uh, if you if you put you know um, ten ten colored balls out in front of me, I would probably be touching all of them and tossing them around. One of those crazy type of guys, and and it's good for me as an innovator, and it can be bad for me as a. A component of a large organization, because sometimes large organizations aren't crazy about change either. So yeah. uh, it's it's both a, a blessing and a curse. But I but I've loved it, and uh, it's just my style.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, and and I can totally relate to that, Mick, because that's why I'm here, running my own organization, uh, in spite of being in a company that I loved what I was doing. You talked about the term innovation being so prevalent today. Tell us more your point of view of why is that?
0: Because I I do think it's a hyper innovation environment right now. I think that I'm certain that virtually every industry, every market is in the throes in the middle of massive change, whether it's, you know, the the transportation industry with Uber, you know. changing the way things are done or whether it's the financial services industry where i'm at where things like mobile wallet and and things of that nature are coming on the insurance industry where um different underwriting medical underwriting and uh, all of the things that we can now wear that tell us our health y- such as fitbit and other things everything is undergoing massive change the the technology and our ability to communicate and social social sharing methods are all converging to make change very, very prevalent, which means we can come up with new ideas at breakneck speed. And yeah. so because of that, uh, everybody uh, needs to be in the game and everybody wants to be in the game. And, and this word innovation uh, has taken off. The, the challenge is is that a, a lot of people are using it. And in my opinion, very few are truly embracing it and putting it in place. But, but the reason it's it's being used a lot is because it's there. We're in a hyper innovation environment.
2: Yeah, and and again, I mean, you and I are aligned in that. I'm trying to disrupt or uh, innovate in a in an industry that hasn't changed in 150 years. Management consulting. And what's interesting to me, um, not that I'm getting pushback from the industry because I'm not big enough, but I'm actually finding uh, that the clients are not ready. Are not are not ready to to receive. Um, Receive it in new ways, even though they know that what they're receiving today, it's not necessarily working. So that's why I think it's an amazing uh, topic to talk about overcoming um, negativity. So tell us more a bit. Uh, tell us a bit more about your career in, in corporations. So what were some of the the key uh, moments or or the you know the biggest achievements from an innovation perspective that that you had? Just share with us.
0: Um. Yeah, sure. I, I, uh, I learned the power of innovation within the Department of Defense. So I was a military officer. And, um, you know, my title was different things in, in Department of Defense. I was, a, I was an accountant, really. But uh, in their wisdom, they gave accountants uh, authority for transformation and other things. And so, um, you know, I, I think back to some of my positions there, uh, I would volunteer for things that had to do with transformation and change. So uh, I witnessed you think about the U.S. military, pound for pound, they're the best in class. They will, you know, any any military in the world you put them up against, they will defeat. And in a lot of that's because they have we have great soldiers, great service members. But there's also a strong component of that that's due to innovation. We have great research and development. We're innovative. The U.S. military uh, embraces change that helps it on the battlefield. And so while I was with DOD as a military officer, uh, you know, I, I think I was probably captain or major, Mick Simonelli, we digitized the U.S. military. <clears throat> and what what does that mean? You, you hear a lot of people talking about digitization now. What it meant for us in the military, and I was just a small part of it. I was doing, I was managing the funding portion for, it. I mean, there, it was a huge effort, so I don't want it to look like I was the the, the the person leading it, but I was a part of that. And I saw the the, enormous impact that innovation could have in a positive way. So what we did is um, you know if you think think about the way militaries used to communicate and some still do, they used radios. And they would – you know, the fog of war, you'd have to – you'd be sitting in some command post somewhere, the commander would, and he or she would be trying to reach their troops out in the field and they'd be trying to tell them where they were at and where the enemy was at. And there was all kinds of confusion and the fog of war and radio com- you know, communications would get down, et cetera. Um, we – when we digitized the U.S. military, we enabled our commanders – to know exactly where their troops were on the ground and to sit in their command post and see them as little blue blips on their screen and know exactly where they were, which is a huge, tremendous advantage. Took out a lot of the final war. And then we were able to give them the ability to see the enemies, where the enemies were. So um, we made it through innovation like it wasn't even a fair fight, because the enemy will be confused and running around the battlefield not really knowing, you know, old style, not knowing who was where and what they were doing and we could know in near real time what our troops were doing and what they were doing and make the appropriate decisions to uh, win battles. And I saw that. And I saw that in action and the world saw that in action. Like I said, there's a lot of reasons for it, but one of them was innovation and, and it just made a huge impact on me and I just kept doing it. Uh, just loved it and stuck with it while I was in the military, You know, became state of transformation officer and, and did things to help DOD transform itself. And let me tell you something, uh, innovation is hard. You talked about trying to do it in management. because It's hard everywhere. But if you can innovate within DOD, you can innovate anywhere. It is regulatory. It's driven by laws. Congress is in your business. And so so I learned also how to innovate in a tough environment. But, but that's one of the uh, big experiences I had for a long time where I saw the real power of innovation. I saw it on the battlefield.
2: Yeah. And that's amazing. And, and I have to confess that while you were sharing that, I was, sh- I was shaking my head uh, how amazing uh, the information, I mean, uh, how impactful what you were saying. And one of the thoughts that you actually uh, articulated is, wow, if you can do it in the DOD, you can do it anywhere. So you're absolutely right. The other thing that hit me when you were talking, Mick, is the fact that um, as a decision-maker and a decision-making expert or a, as a psychologist, to me, it, it just points out how important your attitude towards innovation is. And and the word that came to mind when you're talking is respect and the fact that you learned or, or you gained uh, respect for innovation because you saw it happen. And I think that as I think of many of my clients and, and you and I have met through one of my um, uh, former clients, we um, we often see that uh, organizations and uh, don't didn't have an opportunity to respect innovation uh, because they weren't in that situation or they weren't aware that it was happening and and that's keeping people back. It's creating more fear. At least that was what uh, uh, crossed my mind. What What do you think? What's your perspective on that? I
0: think you're right, Laura. I, I think I think that. There has to be some experiential learning with innovation. I I don't think real learning takes place, at least with innovation, by just telling people or having them read a book. And I've got lots of life experiences with lots of corporations. And, you know, USAA, where I built and led their program, and now I work with a bunch, um, you're absolutely right. It has to be experiential. They have to feel it. They have to see it. They have to um, – experience the impact of innovation. And so a lot of times I try to create circumstances and situations where they can uh, experience it. In fact, um, it's kind of a side note, but I think active learning for innovation is the very best way to do it. Forget having people see a video or read a book or even attend a a, a great speech um, because they'll, they'll attend it, they'll shake their heads yes, and then they go back to their desk and they've got 10 pounds of things they have to do and only a five-pound bag to hold hold it. And they forget about innovation. And they're back to their transactions. They really have to be given challenges. They have to be given an opportunity to innovate. They have to take an idea through the process, either as a team member or as a sponsor if they're a leader. And they have to see the results and experience the results themselves. So I'm with you. Experiential learning is the way to go.
2: Yeah. It, uh, it's definitely a key factor. And as I again, as you talk, I think back of some of my clients because uh, the mandate of innovation becomes the uh, number one mandate overnight. And what happens there, um, you know, I often see and you can share your perspective, but I often see them going from zero to a hundred. So it's like we've done nothing innovative. But uh, um, uh, let's try to do something really innovative. And of course, uh, I don't know about how you feel, but it certainly doesn't, um, uh, doesn't work this way. Uh, yep. You know, you have to kind of test it first. Yep. So go ahead,
0: yep. Mick. No, no, I'm just agreeing with you. I, I, I can't tell you how many very conservative, rigid, button-up companies I walk into that tell me they want to be Google. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but you're not going to get there from here. You, yes. you can't, it's your zero to 100. You don't go from being super risk averse to Google. They're, they're stepping stones. I, I'm yeah. just agreeing with you completely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, uh, it's funny. I'm sure you won't be surprised at all that actually this... Um, uh, this client that you and I know and I'm not going to name, um, I heard that being said uh, from them last week, that they're thinking of uh, being uh, Google in their field. And, um, um, again, they, I mean, it, it's not actually It's quite, um, uh, you know, from my perspective uh, and yours being involved in, in people's success, uh, it's, it's quite... Um, scary or, or or sad in a way, because you're absolutely right. They can't jump from where they are today, no matter who they are, um, to a state where, the state of innovation, which is Google, you know. Um, I, you were talking about uh, your experience in, in DoD, but we... Um, We're going back to a break. Uh, We're going to go to a commercial break now. And after a couple of minutes, we'll be back with uh, Mick to talk in more detail about how he's helping organizations um, drive successful innovation and how particularly he's helping them overcome negativity. So don't go away. We'll be back soon.
1: Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisors' expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com. And make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions build a more fulfilling career contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are tuned into because there's more with host laura ellis To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to ellellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More.
2: Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. And I'm here with Mick Simonelli talking about um, innovation, innovation in in large corporations. Mick just shared with us his experience in Department of Defense and how um, I I was impressed by your statement, uh, Mick, and everything you said, but especially you saying, you know, if. Um, innovation worked in the Department of Defense and uh, in the Army, where uh, there's so much hierarchy, there's so much regulation, it can work anywhere. Um, let me ask you a question, and, and by no means is meant to be a trick question, but how do you define innovation, or, or do you have your own definition?
0: Well, Mick Seminelli, the individual, probably does. Mick Seminelli, the consultant, lets it. Uh, I really take a feel for the voice of the customer because there are different nuances for different organizations that I'm sure you're aware of too that determine what innovation should really be within that organization but for me it's any change yeah. small or large that brings value yeah. period <laughs> that's so so because uh, the even the most smallest minutest change it, it, it is an innovation and if you accumulate those enough of them, Around a topic, it turns into a very big transformational change, and that's a way of innovating. But also very large changes, of course, disruptive transformational um, inventions can also change things. So for me, it's any change that brings value to uh, the organization, uh, small or big. Yeah. And, and, and so, so, so really, if you want to encourage innovation in an organization – You need to have a broad definition. That's Mick Simonelli, the individual. Mick Simonelli, the consultant, looks at the organizational structure, their biases, what they are doing already, what they want to do, and sort of helps them shape their innovation definition based on that. Some organizations, such as a Toyota, are, are you know an intuit, are going to be very geared towards incremental smaller changes and 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 back to the value though by making those smaller incremental changes toyota i bring those two up as example because toyota and intuit have have created this super great um service and products. um they just make a a a bunch of small changes that when combined, they just wow you. And so some organizations you go into are going to be more geared towards small changes. And then some organizations are going to be more geared towards the home run. They want to swing for the fence. They want to get after the really big changes. Um, You know, something like the mobile wallet. Uh, We want to be the people that own the mobile wallet and financial services. Some groups will not be happy with the small changes and will want to swing for the fences. So as a consultant, I sit back, I observe, I listen, I hear them, and I help them shape their definition of innovation based on their sort of culture and their particular biases.
2: Yeah. Um, What do you believe, or what do you see are the challenges that uh, uh, come up from the fact that they have either organizations have either too uh, restrictive definitions or too broad? Tell us more about that and how defining or not defining innovation um, creates challenges in uh, innovation becoming coming alive.
0: Yeah, I think, so I work in large organizations and primarily financial services. I have a couple of education. Um, I'm on two education boards. I'm going to the Notre Dame Innovation Board this week. But primarily, I'm in financial services in large organizations, and I'll tell you that In those organizations, they're they're hierarchical, they're large, they're usually fairly successful. Um, It is very, very good for them to have a definition of innovation and to sort of socialize that definition across their enterprises. Because if they don't, um, there are too many people that have too many diverging definitions that will throw stones at them because as many people are as are as are innovating which is just about everybody they all have their own definitions of what that innovation is mm. we we'll yeah. talked about the wide range that it could take so when these big businesses it's very good for them right at the start to define what that innovation is and then to publish that and if there are any dissenters to sort of get them out in the the public's eye at the start of the innovation program before you start trying to crank ideas through, and then they kill the ideas. So from my opinion, it's really good to um, get that word out right away. This is what we think innovation is. Build a consensus, and then from there, move on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, um, I'm thinking, you know, every word that you say inspires another thought because that's how our brain works. But uh, uh, I'm just thinking that... uh, As a decision uh, maker um, and as a supporter decision making, I often look at the best ways to help people to make those decisions. So language being a very important part of it, um, I, I often suggest to clients to actually replace words like innovation because of the very point that you made. Say the word innovation and you'll have as many definitions of innovation as people you ask. And especially when uh, that needs to be started at the top of the house, where you have confident, smart, uh, accomplished people who have different uh, views of innovation, even agreeing to what innovation should be in that organization is a long process and and one that normally uh, starts the failure. Of innovation. I don't know how you've experienced
0: that. Yep, absolutely. It sure can. Or it can start the success. Sure. You can get it right from the top. Um, I, I, I've got a client now that, um, big client, successful. They have um, failed twice in launching an innovation program. They've called it their labs. And so uh, it's forbidden now, into <laughs> your point about verbiage. So they don't want to call this whatever this next effort is, labs, because they've tried twice and failed. And on a, on, a, on a note related to our conversation, they failed because one of the big things they haven't done is define what the labs would be focused on, whether it was going to be smaller ideas, bigger ideas, things that can be implemented within a year to help the business, or things that are long-term, you know, five years that are home runs. And different leaders within the organization that had different opinions would uh Disagree with them, because if if there's a leader, one of the line of business presidents needed help running his business, he wanted innovations that he could bring to market within a year. And if they're working on something longer term, he would he, he would be against them. And in another, you know, another um line of business president, wanted things that he could put in his strategic roadmap for three years out. And if they're working on things within a year, he'd be like, I can do that. I don't need you doing that. And he would be against them. And because they never agreed on a definition of innovation for their labs, they suffered and they ultimately um, died.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, no surprise me. And how do you bring them together? I mean, Um, It's uh, we're talking the whole, um, um, you know, uh, the center point of this discussion is about naysayers and overcoming negativity and language again. But to me, um, there is negativity even though uh, or can hide behind support, if you see what I'm saying, because to your point, uh, if one supports innovation but is one year out, you can't really call that negativity because it's still in favor of innovation and sometimes how do you overcome those uh, challenges and how do you help your clients be on the same line um, talk the yeah. same language
0: it's very it's very difficult yeah. yeah. um uh, there is there is an underlying I, I would go one step further and i would call it uh passive aggressive sure you know behavior i think that there are some folks that are um, – some organizations that have passive-aggressive behavior. They just do. They will sit in a meeting. I see it all the time. Senior leaders will sit in a meeting. I'm not talking – lower level. I work at the strategic level usually with these companies. They'll sit in a meeting. They'll ag- agree to doing different things. They'll, they'll shake their heads yes to an innovation, and then they'll leave, and they'll give a contrary opinion to somebody else. And it's just crazy, um, very, very passive aggressive, um, very tough for, for an innovation to survive because the poor idea generators think they have support, you know, that from the meeting, shaking of the heads. And then they turn around and something inside the organization of somebody that's shaking their head yes is saying no, 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 no. And it's just really, really difficult. And it's the culture frequently. Yes. And you have, and and there's a number of ways to work around that. Uh, the first thing you have to do though, they have to do is they have to recognize that. And, uh, frequently that's what I will do to start with. I'm an independent consultant. I stay that way. Uh, I don't work for a large company. I work for myself so that I don't have any agenda. I don't have to, uh, I love it. I don't have to sell any products or services or any kind of cookie cutter approach. So this is something that I love to do. I love to go in and I love to find out what the culture is. And then I love to tell them
2: yeah, <laughs> and to yeah. make
0: them realize that's their culture. So if, if you know, for example, um, I love to do um, talk to the senior leaders and I will ask them, tell me in a phrase or word, describe your culture. And if I've talked to 20 or so leaders and they give me their words and phrases and tell it to me, I like to take that and put it on one chart, one page, and then then present it back to them, and typically in these risk-averse companies, it's it's words like risk-averse, fear of failure, conservative. Um, you know, it's not the words uh, that that you want to hear for innovation. For innovation, you want to hear you know innovative. You want to hear entrepreneurial. You want to hear risk-taking. Um, and so it's not those words. And I like to take that and make them realize that that as a group, that their culture is is. Almost anti-innovation, and and that's the start of them understanding how difficult it is to to create innovation in the organization. Then there's some some a lot of things we can do further on to help build innovation. But the start is sort of recognizing the point that you've brought up, and that um, they're not pro change. They're yeah. not pro innovation. Yeah.
2: And, and that's a, an amazing, um, uh, you know, I take those insights and I take them back to my uh, uh, clients, but I also want uh, our audience to to at least see the insights that I see. So we're talking about uh, negativity, where um, I, I guess I would have never called um, um, culture uh, the first source of negativity. I may have thought about it, but not to call it or to name it as a as a key starting point how how do you overcome those challenges I mean can you give us some examples of the things that you have done and how did you arrive to those decisions and what happened
0: yeah I think that you know culture is a big scary uh, topic yeah, and, and, agree. and your background you know you you could get into you know well culture is the norms and the mores and big definitions the best definition easiest definition I've ever heard for culture that I like is it's the way we do things around here. And, and I, I, I make it that simple just because it, it can scare people otherwise. And if you think about innovation, innovation um, is like, a you know, a great idea is like a seed that we want to plant. And we want that seed to grow into a big, you know, bountiful tree that produces fruit that we can pick. And, and the fruit brings, you know, revenue and value to our shareholders and customers, etc. cetera. But if you think about that seed, If you think about what happens with the seed, in order for a seed to grow, it needs soil, it needs water, it needs air. Uh, You know, it's the climate that the seed grows in. And that climate is the culture of an organization. It just is. And so you can't really look at the seed, the idea, without looking at the culture. You just can't. Just like um, I couldn't take a seed and throw it on the middle of the table and expect it to grow. You can't take an idea and just throw it in the middle of an organization and expect it to grow unless you're doing something with the environment, with the soil and the air and the water and the light. And so um, you have to, although it's a scary topic, you have to at least recognize what the culture is willing to give you and what they're not. And every organization has their own culture and climate and they all have their own biases. And so, um, so, so, for example, at USAA, I spent the first two years, um, I was their first innovation officer and I spent there for, and built their program and, and we had great success, but we also had a lot of failures and I spent the first two years there just with goals of launching innovations. And we had some success, but it was limited. Um, and what, what we realized about the middle of year two was that I was banging my head against the cultural wall. We had these great ideas. There were opportunities everywhere, but we, we wrongly assumed that the organization would just embrace them and run with them. And the organization, you know, was tied up with run the business stuff. They didn't have time or energy or the expertise to take on new ideas and change. And about the middle of my second year, we realized it was a culture too. So we changed my objectives to not only be to take on, uh, to launch new innovations, but to create a mature ecosystem in USAA where where the culture would support innovative ideas. And that made all the difference in the world. Um, you know, the first year I think we only launched three innovations. The second year we only launched eight. But the third year we took off. We launched over 50. And the fourth year, you know, even more than that. And it was a direct result of not just trying to launch ideas, but of launching ideas and also trying to build a mature ecosystem in the organization that would support those ideas. Yeah. and that yeah it was key and so so some of the things you have to look at are what are the processes you're using what's the strategy who are the people how are you rewarding them how are you uh, how are you handling ideas that do well how are you handling ideas that fail um all of these things impact the culture and and make a huge difference but you kind of have to know what that culture is and what it'll give you
2: yeah absolutely and and uh, we only have like two and a half minutes to the break, so we won't go into a lot. We'll just pick it up after the break. But just very quickly, Mick, what um, uh, you, you talked about um, uh, how we do things uh, around here, and, and you and I talked about this uh, uh, before I shared this, how we do things about here, It uh, how we do things in our organization is what culture is. Of course, it talks a lot of how decisions uh, and who and why decisions are being made. And I shared with you that uh, I went to a conference, innovation conference in London, and the theme there was from every single chief innovation officer of large organizations across Europe, uh, was that the biggest challenge for innovation is not having great ideas. There's a lot of innovative ideas that come to the table. The challenge is getting the chess players or getting the poker player to talk to the chess players, because the innovators are the poker players, but the people who make decisions are the chess players and translating the language and and finding a common ground was what they found to be the biggest challenge, which in fact is a reflection of the culture of how decisions are being made. Amen. Yeah, So um, we are going to go shortly to uh, to a break and uh, we will come back with Mick to talk in more detail about uh, some of the things we discussed. Uh, Don't go away. If you have any questions, please send me an email to ellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com, also to be found on the uh, website of uh, Voice America Business Network. So don't go away and we'll be back soon.
1: the boardroom to you voice america business network do you believe in the value you bring to an organization have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business let tab advance be your personal advisory board and help you make different better decisions about your career our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when why and how you make those decisions build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisors' expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. you are tuned into because there's more with host laura ellis to connect with our program today please send laura an email to ellis at trusted now back to because there's more
2: Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision making. And I'm here with Mick Simonelli talking about innovation and how to drive um, revenue through innovation and make innovation uh, initiatives successful, particularly in large organizations. And and Mick, you specialize in the financial services industry, uh, A very stable and somewhat risk averse uh, environment. Anything to do with money and investment will yeah. will will be that way. Um, what would be your uh, key, you know, key insights from working with financial services organizations and and some that come to mind that have helped uh, those organizations be successful?
0: Um, I there's there's a couple. Um, and, and, you know, to say that they're somewhat somewhat uh, conservative is probably an understatement. They're, <laughs> they're very, very conservative. Um, I, 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 I'll tell you, these are some of the things. Uh, one is, is uh, there's a couple of key things that, that I think, generally speaking, can apply to most. Although, as we mentioned, different organizations, there's no cookie-cutter approach, and different organizations have different needs. Uh, the first one is if, if, if you're a senior leader, uh, you need to be willing to devote time and energy and resources to the cause. Innovation just doesn't happen by itself. And the more risk averse and difficult it is to innovate with an organization, the more you need help. So you, they need to be willing. It's not just enough to talk about it. It just won't happen by osmosis. They need to be willing to devote some some dedicated people, some dedicated funding, um, get some expertise in that knows how to build innovation, that knows how to build ideas, that knows how to shepherd them, that knows how to prototype them, Um, put the time and energy and resources into it. And if you don't, you're going to get what you pay for. You're not going to get anything. And so that would be one takeaway. Uh, If you're a leader... Become a transformational leader and put some time and money and energy into the transformation. A second one is, um, this is another, uh, focused on sort of the decision-making side of things. Um, As a leader, especially senior leaders, it's great if the CEO president can do this. Sponsor an idea personally. Yeah. If you're a senior leader, demonstrate your leadership, by example, show the organization how to innovate, take on an idea, become the sponsor, take some risk, be public with it, share your results, show them sort of the processes you know, as you're going through them, share your victories, share your defeats. There is nothing, nothing I've seen more powerful to change um, the risk averse culture of an organization a hierarchical organization than to have the senior leader, the senior decision maker take an idea and fail and then go to that group of folks and say, I tried, you know, I did, we did this, this, and this, we had some great learning experiences. We're going to do this as a result because we learned a lot, but we failed. And you can, you can see, I've actually seen, you know, had the opportunity to see a couple of senior leaders do this and you can watch the response around the table, and it's amazing. Um, people really get it. Then people then understand and say, "Oh, if the leader is willing to take a chance, admit failure, and not lose his or her head because of it, then I can take a risk too." And so I think you know a second thing that I would say is take an idea, senior leaders, sponsor them, and share your results, especially failure.
2: Yeah, yeah. And can I just, uh, um, sorry to interrupt there, but I do have to uh, share this because I'm listening to this and I absolutely have goosebumps. I uh, I create an organization about decision making on the premise that no matter how smart we are, no matter how experienced or expert, how much expertise we have, there's only so many choices we can look at. And normally the choices that are important to us work for us, we know of there's no way we can know everything or or have examples of different things. And I'm saying this because I know a lot about, I understand the workings around how people make decisions. I, I question it. So I help them um, get to better one. And yet it's the first time, and it happens every time on my show, make uh, in, in different ways. But it's the first time that I heard it articulated this way, sponsor an idea as a leader what an amazing insight what a thing to share because i if you hadn't said you haven't seen something uh, more powerful as a behavioral expert and decision making it was instant to me that of course you have to do that because it brings together all the things that we talked about it 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 can change the culture overnight almost i mean Perhaps it's an uh, overstatement, but it can change the culture overnight if the leader sponsors an idea. It brings that experiential feeling to them. What does it take? How often do we see CEOs saying, giving the mandate away? They've never done it themselves, bless them, but then they're happy to to chop off the heads of the people who fail because they themselves have, have succeeded by f- focusing on following linear things and and reducing risk and and going for the most likely thing to succeed and the most likely investment, which innovation is everything but. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's absolutely an amazing insight.
0: Yeah. And, And I'll just tell you, Anna, so a little consultant trick I do, why I love being an independent guy is I'll ask the senior leader, point blank. First, I'll, I'll, I'll warm him or her up. Do you, you have a challenge that innovation could help with? And the answer is almost always yes. Ah, this is. Then, then my next question will be, I'll ask them point blank. If the innovation team or someone came up with an idea that would support, you know, filling that gap, gap for your challenge, would you willing to be the senior sponsor? And if they say yes, we're off to the races. If they say no, it's an indicator, too, of the level of commitment of that senior leader. That that leader is hedging his or her bets and kind of on the fence, and I will take that information too and kind of uh, put it into my assessment and say you're you're in a, a tenuous position here because the senior leader isn't really ready to fully commit. Um, so so I use that as a that very point as an indicator of of how successful they're going to be, and 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 it's important because. If you're, if, like you said, if the senior leader takes it on, it makes a huge difference. If they're not willing to take something on, then how are they going to react when a subordinate takes on an idea and it fails?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, it's not meant to be asked as a close or a leading question, Make, but um, how do you find, uh, how do you find uh, leader's definitions of sponsorship? Because, um... Do you think that when they say I will sponsor, or what's your experience of how leaders uh, uh, take on or translate to themselves the the uh, word sponsorship? We talked about the importance of language earlier?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and I use that word. Um, it could be any any word that you put in there, champion, uh, you know overseer, what whatever. Uh, in my opinion, Um, you need a strong one, whatever that thing is. And the way you determine it is, well, it starts with having a really good challenge. You really want to try to find that thing that's keeping the leader awake at night. What's keeping you awake at night, CEO X? Well, this thing is really, well, if we found a solution to that or some alternative solutions, would you support it? Heck yes, usually, because it's keeping him or her awake at night. And so it starts with Having a really good business challenge and meeting the needs, not not finding something out in Netherlands that the leader doesn't care about and saying this is a really cool technology we should embrace it. Harder, much harder to get strong sponsorship for that. But finding that thing that the leader's already feeling angst about and having a concern about and coming to them and saying, you know, can we take this on as a as an innovation challenge? And if we find a solution, are you will you support it? That's that's where it starts, I think. And then I think the other thing is there are just some leaders that are more transformational and some leaders that are more tr- what I call transactional. Yeah. And that is they've grown up. So a transformational leader is willing to take risk, willing to accept uh, some amount of failure, understands the changing nature of business, cetera, is, is an inspirational leader, works, works with others, etc. cetera. A transactional leader has grown up more dealing with transactions. You do this, I do this, it results in this. And it's very bureaucratic and boxed. Uh, The transactional leaders are not as inclined to take on innovation challenges, and they're not as good at it. And so the other thing I would say is, besides having a really good challenge that meets the needs of the leader, um, there's something inherent in that leader's background, DNA, upbringing. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, Laura, but there's something inherent that makes them either more transactional, which doesn't really support change and innovation, or more transformational, which does. And you want more transformational leaders. That's, Of course, that's my bias as an innovator, but I think you want transformational leaders for your ideas.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that uh, uh, not that uh, I want to um, sound as if I'm putting uh, an end to people's hopes, but in my experience, um, the being a transformational um, leader um, doesn't always involve uh, openness to risk. In fact those people have succeeded because they are uh, risk-averse, because they plan ahead because of all the uh, they, they want to transform even those who want to transform the organization. and, and you've come across them, I'm, I have no doubt still have um, you know a hard time saying yes to certain things. or they say yes and that's why I asked about sponsorship because they say I'm behind it. And it's all good until it starts to go really bad or money gets lost, whereas innovation comes with that risk of losing, uh, of losing the money. So, again, one of the things that I've taken away from, from this is uh, them taking on a project and, and saying that, uh, uh, you know what, I mean, like children uh, in children talk would be, it's on you. This is on you to succeed. You go and see what it takes to have this done. And and again, I, uh, I've i never tried that with uh, uh, my my clients, but I'm certainly going to try it from now. Let me ask you another question. And we have like three minutes to the end, Mick. Where did it all go? Uh, this was amazing. And I've learned so much that I can hardly find my words to ask the question now. But do you think people really have, again, not trying to make it leading, but do you really think that people don't like change. What
0: do you think? <laughs> yes. You do. I do. I think that yes. I think that, uh, I think that uh, in very successful organizations, <clears throat> there is uh, change can be a bad thing. Bureaucracy and change—you know—bureaucracy tends to fight change, and sometimes change can be bad. And people are trained to look against change. Um, there's complacency in these large organizations. There's bureaucracy. And it kind of has to be fought against to overcome. I absolutely do think that people don't want to change. And and typically, I go into an organization and I I feel like there's about 5% of their entire employee population that's more like me, willing to embrace change. And I think the other 95% just naturally are going to want to avoid it.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, you do an amazing job and God, I'd love to have an opportunity for us to partner, but you do an amazing job helping people understand innovation and what makes them um, uh, be successful in innovation. My role is to go a step before that happens and they even make the commitment in their own mind, you know, when it's still at the thinking level uh, to to help them to understand how their own brain works so I can help them come at it with the right everything, thought, idea, decision. And the reason I ask because my, my not theory as such, but my angle to get to the right uh, um, mindset is that people don't necessarily, and again, it's language, but people don't necessarily um, fear change as much as they fear the lack of control of the change, like I'm a woman, I spend, you know, I I, uh, subscribe to the same thing or I put money into the beauty industry. And, and I see people changing houses, changing clothing, changing how they look, uh, changing cars, whatever it is that that you're into. And they're not afraid of the change. But they choose that change and they can influence it. And, you know, so even in terms of how And what does innovation mean and and how do you um, help them control what's controllable or creating the the awareness that, you know what, we can't control anything anyway. Uh, Decision making says that the best decision one could make cannot guarantee the outcome because there's only you only have control on your decision. What happens to the decision once it's out there depends on many factors and a lot of the time on luck that we don't think it plays into it. On the contrary, you know, success from past experiences tell us that um, successes tell us that we can control everything. It, it's a it, it's a fantasy. It's not. We don't control. We control the decisions we make and, and that's it. So Mick, thank you so much. I hope you had a great time. We only have about a couple of minutes. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I certainly did.
0: I did, Laura. Thank you
2: you you're very welcome so what um, what i like to do is like if i have uh, questions and and your bio is up there uh, we We'll both post this on um, uh, on on our LinkedIn so people can access it. There's some amazing insights that came out of this discussion for me. And I know that for how people make decisions about the innovation uh, processes that uh, I'd like my clients and everyone out there to access. Um, next week, I'll be having uh, two different guests, two uh, lovely women who have uh, – um, invested their time and uh, uh, expertise into sharing with the rest of us how, um, um, how to uh, become successful in their own field. So um, until next week, um, have a great week. If you have any questions, please email me at ellis L-E-L-L-I-S, at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Uh, um, otherwise, uh, you can download this uh, episode on uh, your iPhone, your uh, on your computer. Um, have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday at 9 a.m. EST.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.